0: this sermon, it struck me that the theme of these verses is very similar to what we have already read in our first Thessalonians series. Uh, in fact, as I as I went back and I thought, okay, is this, am I just mixing things up? Or uh, So I went back and I, I think it would actually be fair to say that this is all still part of Paul's introduction. And in his introduction, he's seeking to encourage the Thessalonians. And he's writing about how what the Lord has done and and is then doing among them. And he's doing that all with an eye toward what the Lord will do. And we'll see that more as we go deeper into the letter. And so what really caught my attention was the realization that at this point, we're, we're actually a fair way into the letter, aren't we? So Paul is spending a a big chunk of this little letter rehearsing the history that he has had with the Thessalonians and and remembering what God has done. And I think that begs the question, why does he spend so much time doing this? Why does he emphasize this whole big picture of the past and his past history with them in a letter that's very short? I mean, shouldn't he be kind of hey, come on, Paul, let's get on to the meat of the letter. Let's get on to the, you know, the real stuff, the things that matter. I think he does that very strategically and for several reasons. I mean, think about it. How often do we emphasize the past? There's very little in our current culture that inclines us to look toward earlier times. Uh, We live during a an era when the past is often seen as unenlightened, simplistic, uh, maybe just irrelevant, perhaps even dangerous. And yet Paul doesn't have such a negative view of what has come before. The way that Paul writes this letter shows us that that remembering together what the Lord had done is very, recently struck with this very point when reading through the Ten Commandments. Do you remember how the command to keep the Sabbath is worded? Remember the Sabbath day. Isn't that interesting? Remember? Don't you think it should be something like uh, do the Sabbath, perform the Sabbath, make sure you, you check off the boxes for the Sabbath, but no, it's Sabbath day. There's something that we lose when we don't remember. There's something we miss out on when we do not rehearse who God is and what he has done to fuel us, to, to get the furnace going for trusting what he will do. For Paul and the Thessalonians then, this Remembering is going to be crucial for their moving forward in faithfulness. The way that they have a future is by looking to the past. The way that they step forward in a confident, bold faithfulness in Christ is by rehearsing the things that Jesus has done. I believe that Paul's pattern should be ours too. I think that's the exact thing we're looking for, so let's turn to First Thessalonians chapter two, and we're going to pick up the letter at verse nine. So again, 1 Thessalonians chapter two, either in your Bible or your device, or um, if you don't have one, there's a there's a Bible in the back of the pew uh, in front of you, and we're going to pick up with verse nine. Um, you're going to see that I have a nice image here of cardinals. I picked this about a month ago when I prepared the slide. I did not know there was a big storm coming, so do you know how all that works out. And, of course, a cardinal is the perfect winter bird, right? You can always see them, and it's wonderful. And One thing about them is they are just faithfully here year-round doing what they always do. Right? So it's not just because I found a cool photo. I think there is a little picture there a little hint, a little analogy that's good for us to see. And what's best for us to see is God's word, where we are going to read that remembering God's work in the past equips us for following him, for trusting him in the future. Here's how we start. Verse 9, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. I want to just stop there and and, and kind of bring together and summarize a little bit. The picture here is how Paul and those with him, uh, Timothy and Silas, how they served the Thessalonians when they were among them. For that brief time, you know, before the, the angry mob was whipped up into a frenzy and drove Paul and company out of town, how did they serve them? What did they look like? Well, I've broken down these verses into two major parts then. This this first one thinks back to Paul and those with him in that first visit, specifically to their their actions, their, their attitudes during that brief period of time. Paul for the Thessalonians to see several truths that are important. He's bringing this up to remind them of some very intentional things because there's a big contrast between he and other popular teachers of the time. He's bringing something very different to the church in Thessalonica. So imagine with me, if you will, a, a time before the Internet we did not all have little flat pieces of glass in our pocket that connected us around the world every second of every day. So time before that, a time before TV. Now you're getting before me. I don't remember that. I remember black and white. And then also a time before radio. Right? There's no newspapers as we're used to. Books were quite rare at that point how would people become aware of and be challenged by new ideas? So Now it's not just imaginary. Now I'm talking about the first century world. How are are people going to get the news? How are they going to understand the big beliefs and philosophies and cultural things of their time? The answer, at least in part, is that there were teachers who would go from, from town to town or region to region, and they would speak in public squares and in forums, trying to convince the audience of some some truth, some idea. Right, this was huge in the first century Greco-Roman world, so much so that, that rhetoric, the art of, of, of speaking and making a, a, a verbal argument, was considered one of the highest, most important, and prestigious things that you could study. We we might think today it's, okay, you know, a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, a scientist. All right? Back then, it's to be a rhetorician, right, someone who would deliver these these deep thoughts to the people and who could communicate them in an understandable way. Some of these folks were like rock stars. I mean, literally, they have followings, people would travel from miles around if they heard that. You know, this person or that person is going to be at one of the the cities in the area. This was huge, and no wonder. How else do you get the news? How else do you know what's going on? And I've painted a very rosy picture of that. But the reality is that just like today, some things have not changed. Uh, Some of these famous speakers and orators uh, played fast and loose with the truth some of them it was more about the entertainment value and i don't mean that in a in a good wholesome fun way it was hey how can i get people to give me money what do i need to say to 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 get the crowd to contribute to well this cause or or, or to pay to come hear me or not good and that led then to a certain amount of skepticism folks grew wise to that of, okay, someone else is in town. Is this this person the real deal, or are they just kind of a a charlatan? And that's what Paul faced as he walked into Thessalonica. Was he just another person trying to charm everyone out of their hard-earned money? Was he just someone bringing a, a a new radical idea about a different kind of faith that really had no more evidence, no more purpose than anything else, you know, just someone else trying to make a buck. And the answer to that that we read in verse 9 is that Paul and those with him came in a radically different mindset and with radically different words and actions. They served the Thessalonians without taking a penny from them. They, They found paying work to make ends meet during their brief stay there they spent the rest of their time proclaiming the gospel but these folks are, are are coming into town and they're doing everything that the sort of the popular speakers of the time they're doing everything the opposite it was bound to make folks sit up and take notice hey what what do you mean they're not charging an admission fee what do you mean they're not taking up a collection again and again, and oh, if it's still not enough, and again and again. Hmm, there's something different about Paul and those with him. And it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 10. We read, you are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you. not just that they came with a different plan, it's that there was a certain amount of of, of integrity and uprightness throughout it all. So in addition to not fleecing the Thessalonians, they, the Thessalonians, knew full well, and God himself ended up confirming it, that Paul and those with him were acting in ways that were completely upright, that, that met every standard, of morality and, and good behavior. I think of celebrity news today. I hope you don't know much of it. I try to avoid it. But if you notice it just sort of lurches from one scandal, one outrage to another? Uh, that too is nothing new. Uh, that was true in the first century as well. That's what was going on. By the way, if you ever wonder why things don't change like that, it's amount of technology, no amount of, of, of education in our glittering cities, none of that changes the base reason, the foundational problem we have, which is that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And so you and I have a lot in common with these first century people, don't we? Right? And it's here that I want us to recognize then something very important. It's that integrity matters. In fact, I would—I should go even further. Integrity is to be the crucial mark of every Christian. This is why, for example, overseers and deacons and deaconesses are called in the scriptures to live a certain way. It's not because the requirements are really anything different from any other Christian. Sometimes I think we misunderstand that. We think that overseers and deacons and deaconesses turn to 1 Timothy or Titus and you have this list and you would think, okay, you know, they need to be doing, nothing on that list, aside from maybe being able to teach for the overseers, nothing on it is, is abnormal. Right? It should all be what every Christian is doing. And how do we do that? By having leaders who are exampling these very normal Christian qualities to us. We need folks we can trust. We need people we can need to be led by those who uphold these traits in a way that that crucially feeds into our own faith, our own witness as a congregation. So friends, in in our church, are these the leaders we seek? I don't only mean. the ones that we that we listen to, the people that we give our attention to, the, the folks that we give our money to, when you listen on the radio, when you're on the internet, whatever podcast you subscribe to, are these people with godly integrity, right? not just folks who happen to be popular, charismatic, or influential, not just those who are smart. Those who can turn a phrase and make it sound really good. But do we prize Christ-like character most of all? And do we prize it because not just, well, they need to be living in a holy way, but because we need to live in a holy way. We need examples, we need patterns to follow after. This is ultimately the first lesson that Paul has for us. to affirm, need to build up and encourage leaders in this way. i to speak to those who, uh, who do lead in this church. Whether you're on the ballot or whether you have a more informal position. I want you to see here that what First E-Free needs most from you. Right? The, the whole reason why your name is on a ballot. The whole reason why why Pastor Kevin is not coming to you and saying, "Wow, I, I don't know. I've got some concerns. We might need to pull you." Up. You know, the whole reason why you are there is not necessarily your leadership skills, your ideas, your expertise. Right, those are all good. We want that too. Don't get me wrong. it's not why you're there, though. And whoever ends up elected, that's not why. Instead, what we need most primarily is your example of following Jesus. That's what we need to see. Right? To be a leader isn't necessarily to, to get everything right and have all the answers. No, instead, it's to open up your life. It's to say, you know what, you're going to see stuff that makes me uncomfortable, things where I'm not perfect, but look for what Christ is doing in me. And this is what Paul himself says elsewhere in the What you see of Christ in me follow that pattern. That's what we need to be looking for. That's what we need to want. That's how disciples are made. Let's all pray that the Lord would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what is most necessary in our examples to one another. bedazzled by the folks who have the slick whatever and our our world's great at marketing instead let's look at character what does Christ say how does this person help me follow Jesus or not how are they themselves following Jesus or not that's what Paul commended to the Thessalonians first of all it doesn't stop there though look at verse 11 For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So how would you characterize, how would you summarize the way that uh, Paul and company served the Thessalonians? I mean, earlier, Earlier, verse seven, uh, he himself used the example of a uh, a mother caring for her children, right? That very personal, loving example. Here, he uses the example of a father. And biblically, what does a good and gracious and loving father want for his children? Paul answers with the very traits that he embodied during his visit. He challenged them to live holy lives. He he sought to encourage them in Christian faithfulness. And he called them to not just think good thoughts about the Lord, to not just be neutral about Jesus, but also to live these things out with integrity before our Lord. As we go deeper into this new year, keep those in your mind. Is is this your own goal for yourself, that you would walk in worthy of God, you know, amidst all the other things that we're told, oh, you know, I've got to exercise more, you should lose weight, you should eat better, you should take more time for yourself, you should, I mean, man, commercials are almost like to-do lists these days, right? So amongst all those messages from our world, what about this message from Is this what you hope to pour into somebody else this year? A friend, a co-worker, a child, a grandchild, someone you're discipling. That they would see this kind of God through your example. One of the realities of making disciples and of evangelism is that it's always personal. Have you noticed that throughout the scriptures? sort of impersonal thing that we do in 2023 of, well, if I just kind of, you know, leave a a poster somewhere, maybe someone will read it and believe, and maybe they will, but that's not the normal picture we see in the Bible. Oh, if I i have heard of people who've done this, please don't raise your hand if you have, but, you know, if if I leave with my tip on the table at the restaurant, one of those fake, like, $100 bill that's, that's really a tract. You know, maybe that's how I – let me bring a message to you if that's you. I've had several friends who are waiters and waitresses, and that's really discouraging to them. And I realize you don't mean that if that's you. I, I, I get that, and folks are too nice to tell you that. But if that's you, it's, let's find a different track. Okay? Right? I mean, this is the – that we are to be a people who pursue the Lord. We are to be people who don't just sort of vaguely have a Christianity about us, but we are to speak about Christ. We are to live after Christ. It's personal. That's why Paul cares so much about going to the Thessalonians. And when he can't get to them, it's why he cares so much to send this letter to them. It's the best he can do. Kingdom, so much as it would depend upon us, that we would do everything we can, everything at least that in our in our own abilities, everything in our own human possibility, to see our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers and our fellow students. And you know what? Yeah, people. When you go and you turn left at Perkins, the people who stand at the street corner. this then is how Paul and those with him served. The second half of this part of the teaching is how the Thessalonians received that serving, received those examples. You find that starting in verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, But as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So how the Thessalonians received, Paul writes of his thanks. You see how he keeps doing that again and again. The Thessalonians were indeed willing to receive God's word. It's not just that Paul went and and he preached and proclaimed and that was great all communication, there has to be someone who's receiving it, otherwise you haven't communicated. In this case, they did receive, they responded, didn't they? And and they did so not simply as knowledge, not simply as, oh, here's another philosophy that we can add to our our Greco-Roman pantheon of, of different gods, oh, here's a little twist, no, this wasn't just something new to think about. sounding things. Now I can sound smart around the ancient water cooler. And this wasn't just a new moral code to hold to, either. Instead, we read that the Thessalonians received this as a message from God. They believed that this is God's word, not just man's word, not just the newest bestseller, the newest hip idea to improve your life. No, they took this as God himself is communicating to us through this guy named Paul. That's how much they believed it. And because they actually believed it, that truth transformed the Thessalonians. Brothers and sisters, the scriptures are nothing less than communication from God himself. They are his unchanging words. That's why when when I preach here, I do my absolute best to talk about what God has said, rather than just my own opinion. Expecting a, a spiritual feast with a table set by God himself. And that's what we're told to expect, by the way. Someday when we are with Christ, that marriage supper of the Lamb, do you realize spiritually it's like we can have a foretaste, an appetizer of that even now? And the reason example that First e Free has an annual Bible reading program. It's not just because we should. It's not just one of those Christian things to do. It's because what the leadership and I want for each other, for all of you, what we want Sioux City to see of us is that God's words himself that he has given are for us. That this is what we something unavoidable you have to do right after church, it's frustrating, it's, it's like, okay, I'm here, that's about all I can do, okay? If you find church normally, some time this week calling on the Spirit to change your heart and to give you a taste for things that will matter in eternity. And I don't mean that by the way in in some sort of metaphor. I mean literally get on your knees and pray and say, Lord, church is boring. Man, I don't want to go. I know I should, but help me to, to see what I'm missing. Help me to see what's going on here so that I would savor this. I believe that's a prayer that the Lord answered in my own life. You can trust him with that. I mean, he already knows you think that way. Be honest with him. Speak. Ask him to do the miracle in your heart. I believe he will. That same God, through his spirit, changed the Thessalonians. just what that looked like, starting in verse 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Oof, that sounds rough, doesn't it? What's Paul doing here? Well, ultimately, the change in the Thessalonians looks like two things. Uh, The first was imitating other faithful Christians, which is to say, they, they didn't keep their, their Greco-Roman culture and just sort of add Jesus in somewhere, sort of slot him in wherever he'd fit. You know, now just, oh, we've got a bit more knowledge of spiritual things. But instead they lived differently from those around them because Christ called them to live differently. And I, I can't think of a, a more clear example than what we just said earlier. culture around us says this is a political issue and what's wrong with you Christians and it's not a political issue. This is one way that we live differently because God has first loved us and we want to extend that love to others. And the Thessalonians on a whole host of issues are are doing that. They're living differently and the way that they're doing so isn't some sort of personal well kind of choose your own adventure well okay here's the way that I'm sort of followed Jesus and, oh, this person has this way over here that's completely different, but that's okay, we just do what we want. No. Instead, they were to pattern their lives, their hopes, their their beliefs, their God-given dreams after other faithful Christians, after the practices that they saw being lived out in front of them. That's what Paul is commending the Thessalonians for. He's saying, you guys are doing it. already a tall order, even more so when you realize that this kind of living then invites persecution, which is the second thing that the Thessalonian response looked like. Perhaps this sort of opposition, this sort of hardship is is what some of you are facing today. Maybe you're a Christian and life has only gotten harder as time has gone on and you think, whoa, wait a second. Maybe your job or your family relationships are at risk because of the gospel. And I I realize some of you probably know that even better than I think I know that about you. Because some of you are having to face that every single day when you go to work. Or every single gathering when you get together with your family. Some of you... of you perhaps you're interested in Christ this morning but the whole persecution thing you're like wow I don't want to sign up for that that's a real stumbling block in our everything easy life is about comfort sort of society and so you wonder you know why should you commit to Jesus when it's going to cost so much as he has taught and trusting that the Lord will bring justice someday right? we live and we walk by faith not by sight the scriptures are very clear about that and so part of that faith is believing that God really is truly actually in control of this life of this life that Jesus really can, that he really will transform suffering and uh, oppression and hurts and, and hardship, that he will do all of that and more, and he will do it in ways large and small, not just someday in heaven, but even here, even now, even in your life and in mine. That's a commitment to faith, to actually believing what we're reading. Will you trust him to that? probably more than enough, but one of my, I I believe one of the most honest prayers in the Bible is when the Father is before Jesus, and he says, you know, Jesus, if you can, and Jesus responds, I, I just picture kind of a raised eyebrow. Secondly, finally, look to the faithful example of Paul and those with him. Embrace the example of the Thessalonians who counted any suffering or persecution as worth being able to be known by Christ. He showed us that the Lord's opinion is what matters most. Will you trust God's opinion? to believe about yourself? Adults, more even than what you think of yourself. Will you trust God's opinion, God's words, what he says about you more than anyone or anything else? Will you trust God's opinion more than your own or those around you? Holding to that truth, dear friends, will change everything about your heart will help you to endure wrongs as Jesus did. It will enable you to love those who persecute you. It will bring you joy in the midst of hardship. That sort of enduring joy is what we're reading of here with the Thessalonians. And it's what we're called. And it's what As our Lord, as our high priest, as our coming King. And so, Father, our, our prayer as we wait for His return, we wait not alone, but in the Spirit, our prayer is that you would help us to believe. Help us to treasure what you have said. Help us to then live what we are reading in such a way that we are willing to do some spiritual good somebody else, that we're willing to be examples worth following, examples not because we're perfect, but because we can testify to how Christ is at work. whose forgiveness to us is full and free and complete in every possible way, who will return for us at just the right time, what drives us and encourages us and motivates us today, this week, this month, this year, and every.